Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day, and with me, my co-host, Ashley McLennan. How's it going? Hello, who time. are you? I know. <laughs> what is this? I know. It's been, I don't know, it's probably been about a month since, since we managed to get one done, but it, man, it just gets too crazy in September. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like, like we had our own post-season, and we just had too much to do. That is so, what it sorry, feels like. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that is what it feels like. And it, well, especially for you, because you, at least you had, you know, teams that were in it that you also, you know, edit and write for and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Like, somehow your attention wasn't completely devoted to the Tigers, Ashley. For shame. Um, I have enough <laughs> attention to go around, Brandon. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know, you know, I was thinking, like, oh, we should talk about the September call-ups and who, you know, who showed out and stuff. And, man, even that, I was just sort of like, you know, Spencer Turnbull looked pretty good. But other than that, I'm kind of like, meh. Yeah, kind of a yawn. I mean, we had Stuart come up and Stuart got injured pretty much almost immediately. Yeah, we got, like, two um, weeks. Two weeks of it, maybe? Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, really just the Tigers, you know, TM. Um, that's really just sums it up right there. Nobody's going to end know? up getting Tommy John or needing major shoulder surgery, but they will all be hurt some other bizarre fashion, guaranteed. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And they sent him, I think, to the same doctor they sent everybody else to right before they needed to get some kind of surgery so yay <laughs> yeah i know that's just kind of kind of how it went um you know the season kind of went out like a lamb it came in like a lamb it was it was very lambish the whole way just a whole bunch of lambs to the slaughter is what it was just a lot of plaintive bleating all year yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, the Tigers ended up, you know, winning 64, 64 games, which was a little worse, actually, than I think I had them pegged. I think I had them at 69. I went for 72 was my prediction. Yeah. And I guess, you know, really, you know, maybe if Miggy had, had stayed healthy, you know, a couple things had gone their way that, that wouldn't have been unattainable. The Tigers did lose something like 24 one-run games. Over if the only that year. goddamn rally goose had shown up a month earlier. Yep. Or stayed later. I, th- I really think Mike Fires yeah. took the took the Rally Goose mojo with him when he left. What a jerk. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, it's, it's, it's so funny to me that, like, you know what? We even ahead of the season, because I wrote the, the acquisition article when Mike Fires came on. And I remember saying, you know what? This would be great, even if you can, like, you know, set him up as trade bait. And now it's like, as soon as he left, we're like, God damn it. Why did you have to go get good and leave? Even though at the beginning of the season, we knew that was precisely what his value was. Yep. And the odds of him, you know, coming out and pitching that well again next year probably aren't aren't great. No. But that's hard to know. I mean Mike Fires is gonna be what, thirty three next year? Yeah, it's kinda hard to hard to imagine him coming back and, and doing that same thing all over again. And of course the A's got eliminated last night. So was Well it they did they oh, didn't God. start Mike Fires, which is my favorite joke and nobody thinks it's funny. <laughs> um and then I'm going to keep telling it as long as Mike Fires is in baseball. What, they, uh, they, yeah, didn't they, start, went... they didn't start the fires? Is that what the yeah. joke is? Oh, I got <laughs> they, it. they didn't start Mike Fires. The <laughs> random <laughs> Billy Joel <laughs> reference for everybody out there. You're welcome. If you stay till um, the end, you'll hear our, our, you know, our rendition of uh, Longest Time. No. do version. Come on, <laughs> no Ashley. one will ever make me sing anywhere that anyone can hear it. <laughs> okay. Um, it's my one thing I go to. Like Everyone's like, is there anything you're not good at? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I am yes, not singing for you people. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> sing to save my life. Um, does not stop me from belting the Hamilton soundtrack in my car, but that is a different story. Um, yeah, but it's funny that like you have all these folks on your team and you have one game to make it happen, and they went with a bullpen. 
Yeah. Which was an interesting A's choice there. Yeah, and then, you know, of course, because it didn't go well, you know, I had to listen to every, like, old guy pundit everywhere today all like, see the bullpenning thing, you know, it's just, it's not sustainable, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, they were just talking about, I'm, I'm watching the, the Dodgers-Braves um, game, and they were literally just talking about that before we started recording about, oh, you know, it's, it's going to have negative effects and you need a guy with a good rotation and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, or you just need a team that knows what they're doing when it comes to bullpenning. You can't just decide to do it one day. Yeah. You need to like really look at what's worked and what doesn't work and, and figure it out from there. Yeah. You have to have the right personnel. And you know it it can it can definitely go wrong. I mean, you know, it is true that like I'll, I'd still take an ace over bullpenning any time. There just aren't that many ace type guys around. You know, it just you know, yep. teams are trying to figure out a way. But yeah, you know, the A's are or not the A's. The Rays are clearly kind of smarter about a lot of these things than anybody else, despite the A's being relatively smart as well. But, I mean, um, the only reason the Rays are smarter about it is because they've had to do it for 162 games. I know. So, of course, they've kind of worked out the kinks, and not it didn't work perfectly the entire time. So, and I'm yeah, sure I'm, you know, in a perfect world, the you know the Rays would love to have Brett Honeywell and <laughs> and a couple I other mean, really good starting pitchers. I think it's going to be really interesting you know? about, about the next season for them because they will have a lot of those guys back at full force. So, I'm curious to see if they keep playing this game every five games or if they return to a traditional kind of setup i think it'll be really interesting especially with you you know not to get too far down this rabbit hole that i can go on forever um you know they've picked up a couple guys that are going to be interesting in the long term so yeah yep they definitely did and yeah i mean there's a guy you know like tyler glass now kind of yeah like, fits like the right kind of guy to be like a not an opener but like a four inning type guy I honestly think they're building towards him being an actual starter, um, which I think is going to be an interesting experiment. Yeah, that is interesting. Because he kind of feels like, um, well, I mean, he pitched really well for you guys, but he kind of has always felt a little bit Daniel Norrissey in that, like, he'll come out and, like, the first two times through the lineup look, you know, just incredible, and then it just all goes to hell. Although that was almost like, yes. that was you know kind of the way the entire Tigers rotation kind of went this year. Yeah, there is a lot of that with Glasnow, and it's it's something that I think that they're focused on, but uh, I think he's an interesting, interesting kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, the third times through the order penalty is real and people are going to be trying to deal with it. So yeah. you don't, if you don't like bullpenning, I don't know. You, you have to suck it up. Maybe you could go root for a super traditional team. Like, the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> is this where you want to start your conversation about the Tigers way? Uh, no, not really. No, no. But, you know, you know, when we look back at the season, you know, I mean, they're just, it really, it just all feels kind of amorphous. You know, there just wasn't, it doesn't feel like they made a lot of progress in any real way. I don't know if maybe, if maybe you feel differently about this, but no. it's, just, it's just frustrating. You know, you look at like Michael Fulmer, Matt Boyd, you know, none of, the, none of those guys, Shane Green, none of those guys took a step forward. Everybody kind of looks, you know, like the same as they did before the season. Like, oh, well, maybe next year, you know, they'll put it together a little bit more. Matt Boyd I has that knack for... The bullpen didn't get significantly worse to me, which I guess counts as a positive. Yeah, it actually seemed better in the second half. I mean, I guess, you know, they they did get Drew Verhagen kind of going finally, and Victor Alcantara was pretty useful. Obviously, Joe Jimenez kind of struggled as he got maybe tired out a little bit, and Green They overused him, but I I think think 
I think what we saw of Jimenez before those too many innings really kicked in, I think it was a very positive sign. Yeah. But they definitely leaned on him way too much. Yeah, I agree. I mean, some of those, you know, in, in the early part of the season where, you know, those guys were pitching, you know, two out of every three games over and over again, it was just it was just too much. Shane Green getting used, like, in doubleheaders in both games on two different occasions. Yeah, I think. and I kept waiting for that moment that we've had with Shane Green in the past where something clicks and he just, you know, finds that groove and it just never happened this season. Like there was never a point where Shane Green was that guy. You're like, yes, that's a guy we're going to get really good trade value from. That's a guy we can lean on. He just never quite got there. Yeah. It's, there was like a couple weeks in maybe May when, when it was coming together, but then he hurt his shoulder, you know, or at least had some fatigue and just could never get it going again. And, kind of ended up not being any kind of a trade chip of any sort. And of course they just kept running him out there because this is, you know, this is unfortunately what we see from Ron Gardenhire is he's, he's definitely an old fashioned roles guy. And, you know, some of the old fashioned stuff, you know, works, but some of it, you know, we're generally pretty frustrated with. And yeah, I mean, just putting Shane Green out there in closer situations, you know, while his velocity just kept ticking down further and further all September long was just kind of slowly driving me crazy. It's like, can we try, Drew Verhagen, can we try Jimenez and start, you know, getting him used to that situation? And I mean, he's kind of used to it, but you know, you got to put these guys in in a leverage situation and see, you know, kind of how they can handle it under pressure. And they just kind of kept throwing green out there to get just hit around. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to to Rick Anderson too, because I think we saw a lot of any willingness for for experimentation just vanish. With Chris Bosio, and I'm, well, I'm not bemoaning the loss of Chris Bosio. They did lose something of of an interesting experimentation mentality with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know. I mean, in a way, Chris Bosio was the guy who kind of sold a lot of us on like, okay, you know, we're going to mesh the kind of traditional managerial style, but but as far as pitching goes, you're going to have you know a guy who's got a lot of kind of newfangled concepts. You know, they've got the analytics department. You know theoretically rolling finally um but yeah it just it just didn't really uh, pay any real dividends although i guess you know if drew verhagen comes out next year and is a good reliever i guess that's one thing but yeah you look through the position players and yeah nobody nobody really uh showed out or made any real impact jamer candelario you know started good but kind of fell off towards the end nico goodrum was a pleasant surprise for me only in that i had zero expectation from him and he was actually kind of good So that's, I mean, that's really the season in a nutshell, isn't it? It's like that guy I thought would probably suck didn't suck too bad. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Pretty much. I mean, and you know, and yeah, it's unfortunate because Nico Goodrum does, you know, does look like he could be a really nice utility piece. Um, He's got power and speed. Um, And if he took another step forward with the back bat, he could be useful, um, you know, long-term, especially as a utility man. But he did, he didn't really impress anybody as a guy who you could plug right in at second base and think his defense is going to be solid. So, um, I mean, he's nice to have around. Um, I'm a big fan. He seems like an awesome person. Um, did a lot of good for the community considering yeah. he's basically brand new here and, you know, making league minimum. Um, so, I mean, that was a cool development, but yeah, you know, not, not a very impactful one. And then you kind of look at, yeah, Candelario, you know, really, you know, the whole second half just kind of kept fading and fading. Um, you know, the power would still show up, but, um, you know, it, it basically this is still his rookie year. So I would caution people on getting too crazy. Like, you know, it's just the way it goes sometimes that, you know, 
pitchers adjust, teams adjust to you, and then you have to figure it out and adjust back. It's just that, yeah. you know, he's got that wrist issue, and you just kind of have to wonder if that thing is, is going to kind of nag at him for a long time and, and be a problem. But Well, I hope they take it seriously and that they, like, they don't treat it as a minor thing now, that they look at it as being something that could be a really serious issue and and work on that now as opposed to being, you know something they just kind of leave and see what happens. Yeah. 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 Like you, you can't just hope for the best is, is my takeaway. Like you've got to, you know, really address that sort of thing. Yeah. And I, and it just feels like overall, like the tigers, you know, in general, were just kind of cautious this year, you know, and, and they kind of are, there's a lot of like, you know, kind of, you know, there was no radical moves. There were no crazy trades made. Um, nope. You know, they weren't, they didn't seem particularly aggressive and you just kind of, you know, it, it feels again and again, like, the, you know, they're kind of just going to let the, you know, the farm system play out before they really even try to do anything. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, there's, there's been some, some hints that um, James McCann, you know, seems unlikely to be, to be back. Um, Alavila has at least said they have a tough decision there. Um, yeah. You don't and usually he's, say he's that. A couple positions that are going to be of high interest to the Tigers in the offseason. Um, shortstop, uh, which we'll get to, uh, catcher, and um, I don't know if I remember what the, the third, third one, one was. was. Yeah, second, um, second base still, too. Yeah. 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 So, that, yeah, I mean, and that's it's it's tough because that's up the middle. Those are, you know, maybe the three most important positions on the field. Um, you know, you can throw and center it, field in there. but And for and a team that doesn't want to spend a heck of a lot of money, it puts you in a kind of a weird position because it's a pretty light free agent market. And there's not a lot of guys that I think are quite ready yet in the farm. Like I know you and I talked about whether or not Jake Rogers would be ready next season. And I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see him, but I'm not a hundred percent sure he's quite there yet. Yeah. And you have to be careful. It's true. You don't, you don't want to rush these guys too much. Um, you also don't want to kind of slow play them and you never know. I mean, it's possible Isaac Paredes could force his way up next year as a second baseman late in the season, but the, you know, the Tigers aren't going to be any hurry to, to start these guys service clocks. Um, no. so, so I think you look at, yeah, Paredes and Daz Cameron and Jake Rogers. And if they do come up, it's probably not going to be until September of next year. Yeah. So yeah, we're still a good ways away. We did start to kind of get a few guys, you know, a few decent prospects coming up. We mentioned Stewart. Um, hard to say a whole lot about Kristen Stewart other than that, you know, the defense unfortunately looked probably about as bad as advertised and the bat looked as good as, as advertised. You know, he drew a lot of walks, looked very patient up there, um, put together a lot of long at, at bats and the power, you know, the power is obvious. Um, it's just a question of how do you, how do you survive and not break your pitching staff mentally by, by having he and Nick out in the, in the corner oh, outfield. God. Yeah. What a nightmare proposition. Yeah, I mean it's you know it, it's it's just tough you know like there's 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 flaws there and you know that there are there are players coming um, who could help out but yeah I mean it just feels like for the Tigers to really get this thing going on the right track it's going to take a little bit more than this um, and that I mean I guess I'll, I'll just lead that right into kind of my rant on this because yeah I was on the the Tigers our buddies the Tigers SRD podcast with Chris Brown and Roger uh, Martin yesterday. And we were kind of talking about the Tiger's Way article that, that Chris McCoskey and a few of the other beat writers all kind of kind of jumped on this week because, um, you know, the Tigers gave some comments about this again. And, they, you know, they've been mentioning the Tiger's Way all along. 
But, um, you know, I kind of, you know, Chris McCaskey wrote this article for the Detroit News. Uh, I like Chris McCaskey. I don't have any particular beef with Chris McCaskey. Um, but when you write another Tiger's Way article and really are kind of selling it like the Tigers are, you know, really dedicated on improving the fundamentals and, you know, they're really going to make sure in the minor leagues that we come down on guys. If, you know, I, I saw there was a quote in one of those articles from Dave Littlefield, who's vice president of player development, talking about, yeah, you know, maybe we do need to start, you know, kind of sitting guys down when they don't run out a ground ball or when they don't run out a fly ball or when they miss the cutoff man um, and kind of make these fundamental errors. And, you know, it's just kind of like, well, what have you been doing all along? Because as yeah. I pointed out to Chris McCoskey, you know, that the first Tiger's Way articles were written all the way back in 2015. Um, and, you know, the Tigers were talking about, you know, creating like a, you know, kind of a almost a code of conduct and a way to play the game throughout the minor league system where everyone would would know what the fundamentals, you know, that the Tigers demanded were, um, you know, that there were standards kind of in place for how you would do all these different things. And, you know, we're four years on, and I, I didn't actually worry that much about their fundamentals necessarily. I mean, nine times out of ten, it's just that you're just not that good a player. And we know the Tigers are still waiting on their, their better prospects. But, um, but you know, the Tigers kind of brought it up themselves. Like, we've got to work harder about this. Ron Gardenhire, you know, was talking about how some of the young players would come up and, and didn't seem particularly ready to him. Um, and that's all well and good. But, you know, you can't come out and, and promote this as, like, this huge, you know, change in Tiger's philosophy when we had these articles going all the way back to 2014. And so I retweeted, you know, kind of, I retweeted Chris and, and was pretty snarky, like, oh, the, here comes the obligatory, you know, we're going to improve the fundamentals, you know, big time this offseason. And we're really, <laughs> really digging into that. And he came right back at me with like, no, you are so wrong about this. And, uh, you know, I, you're, they're just going to have to prove it because, um, you know, a lot of those articles really felt like they were just carrying the Tiger's water here, you know, like, oh, there's, yeah. You know, Things it's really kind of hard to write something, something like, like that, that without making it sound like you're totally just kissing the team's ass, frankly. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to question them on some of these things. And, you know, it, and it was just funny to immediate, you know, within seconds, I had pulled up Chris McCoskey's original Tiger's Way article from 2015, um, which, you know, four years on. And in that article, Al Avila was kind of talking about it, you know, in the exact same terms he was the other day. And also hilariously to me said something about how you know he didn't want to bring this up you know he didn't want this wasn't going to be a thing that the tigers talked about you know it was going to it was going to be more than a manual it was going to be a way of doing business and and teaching players but it was going to be something that they were going to kind of keep under the radar and and, and it was just something they were going to do you know it wasn't something they were, mm-hmm. going to, they were going to promote and make a big fuss about and yet every damn year we get another you know slew of these articles when the season ends that you know we're really going to lock down on all this and you know, I don't really care because, you know, at the end of the day, the fundamentals are important, but that's not why the Tigers are bad. Um, the Tigers are bad because they don't have legit, talented major league players to the degree that you need. But um, but it was just, you know, it was just kind of an ugly, another ugly sort of <laughs> PR issue, really, more than anything. And yeah, I mean, I just I just can't take this anymore. <laughs> it's just going to make you crazy. Yeah. You know, don't tell, don't tell us these things, you know, just do it. You know, if you're going to do it, do it. Yeah, like really, like don't advertise it. Just make it the thing. Yeah, when you know when you're doing it right, other people will write it about you. You know, with from the outside, you won't even need to like go around, you know, subtly talking about it. Like, oh, you know, well, we don't want to make a big deal about this. We're just going to mention it every damn off season and get all the beat writers to write an article about it. Yeah, and come up with like a quippy name for it. Like, come yeah, on, I know, and just kind of jump it on like the Cardinals way, you know, etc. Um, yeah. I mean, it's fine. Like, you know, these things make sense, you know, to do. I mean, you do want kind of, you know, like a uniform, 
you know, way of, of teaching and, you know, uniform kind of expectations throughout the minor league system. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that all makes sense. Um, it's just that, you know, you keep, you keep bringing it up every year and we're going to eventually, you know, have a little bit of what's it called when, uh, when the stimulus stops working, stimulus uh, extension. Maybe. Or <laughs> yeah. just Tiger's Way on Wii. Yeah. Tiger's Way on Wii. I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. That that whole thing just kind of, like, put me off my feed for a couple of days. I was just like, oh, here we go with the Tigers way push again. But, um, you know, the Tigers did some cool things, I thought, this offseason on that – or this past season on that front. They're doing – you know, the Instructional League is going on right now. And I like that they had Manning and Burroughs come and throw for Rick Anderson and, and Ron Gardenhire and kind of get some feedback. Because you do yeah. need all the coaches, you know, to be on sort of the same page and be able to make some suggestions. Um, so that's all well and good. Yeah. Yeah, not a total like not a total shit show. Some positive stuff. Yeah. It's just another thing like the um like the you know, the, the analytics database where it just feels like, you know, they, they started talking about all these things the minute Alavila took over and you know, three, four years on, you know, hopefully they're starting to come to fruition, but you just don't know. Like are we already, you know, kind of kind of further behind than they were when they started at this point because some of these things have just, you know, taken kind of a long time and I, I keep remembering you know that Nick Castellanos maybe this was like 2015 his second year but he was talking about the Tigers farm system and his you know his years coming through it and how at each level he went to it felt like he got like completely different instruction and they would try to change his swing you know and and it just happened to him you know year after year where people would kind of start tweaking and experimenting with him and there was no sort of unified plan for how to get him you know to the best point possible and, and that just seemed like the most Tigers thing ever where it was just sort of this laissez-faire like well we'll just let you know the managers let the next guy sort your it. problems out let the next level figure that out yeah and just letting all these sort of different methodologies just sort of have their day to just you know play with you know the guy who was you know the best prospect that you had you know over course of like five years so yeah that doesn't feel doesn't feel super great and no. I pointed this out on the other show last night where that you know the, I read the Cubs way by Tom Verducci um Sports Illustrated writer and it was all about you know Theo Epstein and company taking over the Cubs and turning them into a World Series champion in like 5 years but the first thing that happened is that they came into an organization that was super backwards and the, you know the Cubs still had like you know, like three by five cards, you know, filed everywhere. And that was how they did their, their scouting reports. And the oh scouting, my God. Yeah. And, and there was no analytics database, you know, there was none of that. And, you know, there was different terminology and like scouting grade methodology and all these different things. And the very first thing they did the first year was get an entire analytics database built, get all the scouts, you know, up to speed on how to report and use the computer to actually file their reports. So all this can be put together get all the scouts using the same terminology and the same, the same, you know, scouting grades and, and kind of, you know, what metrics they wanted to see emphasize all that stuff. They got all that done in like one year and it's because they outsourced quite a bit of it. You know, they outsourced, you know, a complete analytics database to be built. And, you know, the Tigers meanwhile took, you know, three years, almost four years to get, you know, the Caesar thing up and running. And yeah, you just, you know, it, it just feels like we're, you know, forever kind of saying the right things and taking way longer than everybody else would to kind of get this done. So, I mean, obviously the Cubs are, you know, Theo Epstein and those guys had a lot of experience that, you know, that, that kind of the Tigers front office doesn't have coming from Boston, but, um, but you know, they, they involved outside people and made this thing happen. Whereas the Tigers continue to feel like this insular community that is now kind of grafted on the garden hire lineage of the, you know, 
05 to 2012 twins for whatever reason who never won anything (laughs) it it sort of feels like we're at that point where like in the 70s where cars got (laughs) seatbelts and the tigers are like no no my 72 chevelle is fine i'm just gonna keep driving it until it falls apart meanwhile everyone else is like i've got windshield wipers i have passenger (laughs) seatbelts And they're like, no, we'll get there eventually. It's fine. We just got to, like, make sure that we put somebody through the window first. Yeah. Yeah. The Tigers are the guy who were like, you know, who always says, like, hey, I'd rather just be thrown clear. Like, that. (laughs) the Tigers are that guy. Yeah. They're the guys that are like, well, I know there's a better way to do this, but we're fine with what we've got for the time being. And it's like, "Mm, maybe it's time that you get the seatbelts, you know? (laughs) Like... Maybe everybody else who's doing things and being more successful than you actually does know some things, and perhaps you should try hiring some of them and putting them into positions of power rather than the dudes that you've had for 20 years. There yeah, some- there's only so much you can like rely on the fact that you had four straight postseason runs because you're not there anymore. Like That door is closed. Yep. And not only did you, you know, kind of mortgage everything you had to get those four years, you you mortgaged a lot of what's gone on since because they, you know, they were way behind in analytics. They were behind in terms of their scouting um, and the way they teach the game and their facilities. And they're doing things to catch up. I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, okay, they have, you know, they have chefs now. They got all the stadiums wired for TrackMan. Yeah, Lakeland looks great. They really, really went all out on that. They they kind of leaned on, um, you know, the the group that owns, I think it's a group that owns the Erie Seawolves, and they're replacing UPMC Park's, you know, entire field this offseason to upgrade the facilities there, and the Tigers have, like, a mental skills coach now, um, you know, yeah, you know, and they're on the, tr- they're on the right track with all those things, it just feels like it's taking bloody long to get it all kind of coming together, and we, start- yeah. we still haven't seen any, you know, kind of payoff yet, that's for sure. And, and it's, it's going to be, be a while, while before, before we do. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid you're right on that front. Excuse yep. me, like I just choked, choked on the up. idea of how long it's going to take. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, yeah, the Tigers way, okay, all well and good. But, you know, everybody's just going to have to forgive me for just kind of rolling my eyes and kind of, yeah, like, hmm, okay. <laughs> the Tigers way. Yes, indeed. Good luck with all that. I do love how quickly McCoskey gets on the defensive about anyone who like disagrees with his take on things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, being a beat writer does kind of suck in that that frame because you know you just catch it, you catch hell from everybody, and nobody ever thinks to themselves like, okay, this is a guy who actually has to go talk to the players, and you know if he wrote something critical about the organization, has to hear it from them. You yeah, know, that, that's not easy. But um, and we're in a time where people don't value that kind of journalism anyway. They just complain about the lack of it. Um, and don't pay for good journalism. And we've talked about that on the show before. But um, yeah, but yeah, he, he was a little bit defensive on this. And I mean, I kind of came right at him immediately. So maybe that was that was <laughs> that was part of it. Just like, oh, here we go with the Tigers way rollout part four. Um, so, yeah, we're gonna have to see how it goes. Um, you know, the Tigers are, have said the right things, you know, in a lot of cases, and they seem to be doing some of the right things. But um, yeah, we're, we're just gonna have to see if it if it bears any fruit through the farm system. And whether or not someone hits the right cutoff man is probably bigger kind of deciding points as to whether <laughs> as to whether we turn these things around anytime soon. Uh, so yeah, I'm all right. So I had my little fun and, and got annoyed about the Tigers' way business, but we did get a little bit of news um, that kind of points towards some of the off-season issues, which was um, you know, but like we mentioned earlier that. Alavila kind of mentioned that you know they weren't real sure. It sounds like they were not real sure what they're going to do with James McCann, which 
you know, bye, Felicia. Yeah, which kind of sounds like bye, Felicia, because you know it's not like what? they have to offer him a contract. I mean, you know, he's going into his first year arbitration; he's theirs. Um, so, you know, if you're actually really kind of mentioning publicly that you have this decision in front of you, it doesn't sound like he's coming. No, and I I have no problems with that. What's I don't feel like he offers the team anything so substantial. Um, I'd rather we stretch out Grenier a little bit more. Uh, if Hicks is healed, give him some more reps. Um, you know, there's a lot you can do without having to lean on bringing Rogers up right away. Um, and I mean, there's going to even be guys on the free market that aren't going to be too extensive. We're looking at some of the guys that are a bit older, but you got guys like Weeders out there that are going to be free agents. Um, I mean, you could spend a little money there on an older guy to kind of guide the new crop. Yeah, I'd like um, I'd like to see him do that, but I don't know. I I because I don't think McCann's going to be the guy that's going to be available to those guys to to kind of give them that right mental direction. I think he's still too young for that and still too unseasoned, and I don't think he's a good enough catcher to be the guy. Like I would love obviously to have Alex Avila back to be that guy, but he's still got another year with the Diamondbacks. Um, but I think as like an elder statesman kind of catcher, that's exactly the kind of guy you want. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, kind of the big free agent is going to be Yasmani Grandal. And as much as I'd love to get Yasmani Grandal, that, you know, he has no no reason to come to Detroit, I mean, even if we overpaid. Wilson, Wilson yeah. Ramos is going to be a free agent. There's a lot of guys that I would love to see but have no motivation to spend the latter part of their careers in Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. So, yeah. Especially like, this kind of a downswing. So, there yeah, are unfortunately... Guys, there's like Martin Maldonado, there's Jonathan Lucroy, and then maybe the best idea is, uh, is Jeff Mathis, who, you know, catches for the Diamondbacks, can't hit a lick, um, which is very <laughs> similar to McCann. But is generally regarded as, you know, by every coach who's ever worked with him as one of the best defensive catchers, you know, sort of the Brad Ausmus of his day. Like, this guy can't hit, but he's so valuable in the way that he receives the ball and the way he calls the game and the way yeah, he controls the Yeah, that's exactly the, the kind field. of guy I want them to pick up. Pick up a guy who is a catcher. Don't pick up a guy because of his bat. Who cares? Like I know that in the long term, in a real season, that's exactly the kind of guy you'd want is a guy who can hit and a guy who can call games. But I don't really care how many games we win next year, frankly. I want a guy in there who's going to give the right guidance to the guys that are going to be there when they're actually in contention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really feels like what they should be doing is kind of setting up like a nice framework with a couple veterans in key places so that as, you know, the young players start coming in and, you know, you just never know who we might see next year. We might, maybe we will see Daz Cameron. Uh, maybe we'll see Jacob Rogers. Maybe we'll see Victor Reyes come back from Toledo, where I assume he'll start. Maybe we'll see Isaac Paredes. Maybe we'll see some of the big pitchers. Um, maybe Bo Burrows makes an appearance or, you know, someone along those lines. But if you have the framework in place to support those guys when they come in, it's a lot better to me than just kind of putting all these rookies onto, onto the same team with a bunch of other kind of, you know, non-prospect guys who are in their mid-20s and never never really made it and just kind of expecting them to kind of figure it out and get better. You know, it's just, it's going to take too long. Um, yeah. It's going to take a long time. And who was it? I think it was, yeah, it was Paul Wesner um, who writes for Tiggs Town. I think maybe he's their managing editor over there, but he was kind of talking about the Tigers' attendance, which we could, we could mention, but the Tigers' attendance obviously was down um, a good deal. I think it was like 6 or 7% from last year. It was a pretty steep drop. I think it was, it, it was, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was definitely a fair, a fair drop from where we've been in years past. That's for sure. But I mean, baseball attendance overall dropped 4%. 
it's the first season in a long time that they've had less than 70 million in attendance yep. um, or 7 million. If you're a really stupid blog that can't figure out numbers. numbers. <laughs> um, God, I was so annoyed with how long it took them to correct that. Um, Cause you're looking at it going 7 million people. Like it can't be 7 million people, more than 10 million people alone went to the top three stadiums. So like I can do math. Can you? Um, but Anyway, I get feisty about stuff like that, but that's probably the editor in me rearing her ugly head. Um, I don't know. Um, it was a, it was a drop, but a lot of stadiums dropped, and part of that we recognize is that they're counting attendance differently. I believe rather than counting tickets sold, a lot of stadiums are counting how many tickets are checked. So the actual people in through the door is now what we're looking at as attendance. And I know stadiums, especially like Miami, really manipulated that where they would do a lot of giveaways and there would be a lot of tickets in circulation, um, but not a lot of tickets actually being used. And they saw a pretty st- – they were the only team, I think, on that list that had sub-1 million attendance yeah. for, for the, the whole year. year. And, and that, that was a drop. drop. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, and yeah, that, I mean, I, I think they, man, I wish I could remember this, this number, but they accounted for a pretty substantial portion of the, of the drop. Um, you know, and when you trade your entire outfield and all three of them turn out to be, you know, are really good players and, you know, you yeah. basically like cash in all your chips and say, Hey, we're going to suck. Yeah. That, and then, that's you know, happen. Christian Yelich goes on to become the NL MVP and, you know, so on and so forth. Yep. Sorry. Sorry, Marlins fans. That whole thing kind of had to suck. And, you know, and maybe, you know, it's possible that too many teams, maybe not too many teams tanking, but too many teams like making very clear that they were tanking, um, you know, kind of, kind of hurt that maybe, you know, maybe it was a bad weather year. I hate to make too much about one year of attendance, but the Tigers. Uh, attendance I, don't know. Is I find it funny that you talk that. about, we, we talk, talk about, about tanking and we talk about these teams that really came under fire for quote unquote tanking. And two of those teams were the Rays and the A's yeah. <laughs> and the Rays ended their year with a 90 win season. And yeah, their attendance did actually drop from last year, but not substantially. They actually rose in the rankings of where they were from last year last year to I think they're third last now or second last you know I, I like to pick apart these things and the A's who were in it until yesterday yeah well and it was just it was always weird to me from the beginning that you know people were talking about the Rays as like a tanking team like you know the Rays did what they always do like they don't spend very much money and they're super creative and innovative in how they go about things they're cheap they guard their farm and they make really weird decisions with guys that have been there for a long time. Yeah, they they really do kind of put their emotions aside because they have to and, you know, and go and just keep kind of trying to turn things into into better value. Yeah, I think you could argue that the Rays are one of the least romantic teams in how, how they, they deal, deal with, with things. things. Yeah. And yet somehow consistently manage to churn out one of the most entertaining teams on the field. Yeah, and their team is the least, you know, sort of romantic or the the stadium is like the least romantic place in baseball as well. And yet How you know, dare you? There is a Ray touch tank there. I, well, I, I will give them that. I do like the tank. But it is kind of funny that the Rays like, you know, really <laughs> you know, want to get on about and yeah. the morality of it anyway. Uh, I, uh, no. I, 
you know, you I know, could fall. We, we, I'm so sorry to everybody listening. I, I could go on. on. We've got a few baseball writers we probably like to call out, but we will not. We will pass on that. No, but, and you know what? That bothers me because I did see a lot of that. There were some folks out there that were really shitty about the Rays when the season kicked off. Some specific writers. It does not take a lot of figuring out to figure out who they were. Um, but there are people now that are like really on their case. Like, yeah, I showed you. And like, what were you out there playing? You were not. Calm down. Yes, they made some assessments based on the the beginning of the season, um, but like they're humans. Calm down. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, need to drag, drag them, them through the, the mud, mud from, from saying something, something stupid. stupid. Exactly. And at the end of the day, like it's it's that's all about their ownership. And I mean, you kind of have to you have to separate be able at least be able to when you need to to separate these out into their component parts. They, the Rays front office are freaking brilliant. And their players yeah. play their butts off of. So, you know, if their owner is kind of a deadbeat, which that's that's how I'd portray him, and doesn't want to, you know, shell in for an extra, you know, kind of top-tier player or two to kind of, you know, get them over the top, you know, that's his business. But um, but it is still, you know, rather impressive the way they were able to put this together. Um, yeah, but they the, always make the most out of what they have. I feel like the Tigers could learn something from this. Yeah, the Tigers are kind of one of the classic, like, least efficient ones, you know, like giving out, like, legacy contracts to people. And, you know, hiring all their old buddies, you know, who've, who've been in the game since, you know, like their late 70s and stuff. And, you know, and at the same time, try to talk a good game about how they're, you know, going to be super forward thinking and, you know, and do all these these things. Um, it's just yeah. it's hard to square those those perspectives. And I think there is something in that where they really could work on being a little less romantic about things like we bemoan the Victor Martinez contract and we've complained about it for years. And honest to God, the only reason it exists because Victor Martinez went up to Mike Illich and was like, Mike, uh, I'd like to stay. Will you give me more money? And poor Mike, who just so badly wanted a happy team winning a world series was like, yeah. And I'm going to take care of you, Victor. I'll, we're going to take care of you. Well, well, it's they a, took care, it's they took that good care sense of, of family. Right. And we're already seeing a little less of that. We're seeing that Alavilo is willing to trade Justin Verlander if Verlander was willing to go. You know, I think we could just use a little bit more of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have to because, um, you know, nobody nobody pays you for being nice, you know, for very long. And nice doesn't generally translate into wins. I mean, there's always that argument about whether or not the Tigers are right to be a little bit better to their free agents and a little bit, you know, willing to overpay and and to kind of be deferential to the veterans because Detroit isn't really that much of a free agent destination, but it's very hard to see how that ever helped them. You know, I mean, I'm glad that the, that the Tigers kind of tend to do things in a fairly classy fashion on that front for the most part, especially after yeah. kind of like the first, you know, early part of the Illich, you know, family ownership where they, they kind of were bad about that. They weren't, you know, they were pretty cold to Sparky and, um, you know, fired Ernie Harwell, like kind of without really realizing that everyone was going to riot. Um, you know, yeah. they, 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 you know, they figured that out eventually and, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll be able to carry that over, but with more balance, but to actually get back to Mr. Wesner's comment about, you know, what, what the problem is with the Tigers declining ownership because he's, you know, or declining attendance, because that really crystallized something for me. Because I know I'm I'm the guy who keeps saying, you know, the Tigers need to make some trades. The Tigers need to sign a few guys, especially. Like, I, you know, everybody else is sort of, you know, maybe a little bit more, like, you know, sanguine about, like, okay, until the farm system kind of starts producing more guys, there's really no point. But I really worry about the Tigers letting this get away from them and, to the point that attendance, you know, drops for, like, another year or two. And you start to get to the point where you've lost people. You know, like, Detroit yeah. is a really good baseball town. 
And, you know, a couple of years could go on where they were 500. And as soon as they're good again, everybody will be 100% behind them. But if you wait too long, it, it just gets harder and harder. And we saw, you know, the Royals, who obviously don't have as much money to spend, kind of be in this morass for, you know, 20 years where, you know, even when they did get a couple talented players, they could never sort of parlay it into a complete roster because they'd let themselves fall so far. And it's just really hard to push yourself over the top from there. Which is why I would really like to see the Tigers, yeah, try to you know try to be a 500 team next year. I know they won't be, but I would like to see them kind of have a goal of like, okay, it's time to start you know kind of building this thing back up. Because once you're a 500 team, you're sort of on that plateau where it's like, okay, a couple you know a couple key pieces, maybe you know somebody breaks out, something good happens here or there, and there you go, you're a wild card team, and you're you're not you know so far from being able to like, okay, we're gonna make a trade for a, a star like Kristen Yelich or. Giancarlo Stanton and and take this thing to the next level. Um, but yeah, if they just kind of keep letting it go, and you know we've got Miguel Cabrera's contract, they've got Jordan Zimmerman's contract, and those are going to be kind of you know albatrosses around their neck for a little while longer. But um, yeah, I mean, man, you, you let this go too long where the Tigers are bad for a long time, and you know maybe one or two of the you know the couple position player prospects we're looking for don't pan out. And the next thing you know, you know, you've, you've basically got a lost decade. Um, Tigers haven't been to the postseason since 2014. It's already already been a while. So, so yeah. Overall, I don't know. That, that's my real, that, that's my real concern, and that's why I kind of keep kind of pushing them to to make sure they have a couple veterans. Like we're losing Victor Martinez this year. You know, they like to talk about the veteran leadership he provided. Well, okay, find me a veteran catcher. And, you know, find me at least one middle infielder who is competent. Yeah. So, and that leads us to the middle inf- infielder topic, because as we saw on Instagram the other day, Jose Iglesias basically bid goodbye to Tigers fans and said sort of thank you for his, you know, f- four and a half seasons of, of, of time here. Um, I, I don't know if I'm really prepared to, like, <laughs> go all the way to, like through, like, the Jose Iglesias legacy in Detroit, or if there is such a thing. But uh, but what did that make you think seeing him uh, seeing him say that? Do you think there's any chance the Tigers would still end up bringing him back? Do you think that he'll he'll find kind of a team that's a little bit more exciting and has a better chance to win that will actually want him? I don't know. I feel like there they could have been smart, and I think that they could do a lot worse than to keep him for another year. Um, we definitely had this discussion. I think where I think he's a quality enough player for the team that they have. Um, that it makes sense to go with someone like that because you're not going to get anybody who's better per se. Um, and I think it, what may have happened is that I think he may have decided he wanted to try the waters elsewhere. Cause I think in any kind of version of it, I look at the tigers know that he's kind of the best they can do. Um, and he could probably be had pretty cheaply. And so I, I have to think that Iglesias is thinking, do I want to finish my career with a team that's struggling to get back to something or do I want to try my luck somewhere somewhere else? else? Yeah. Even if that means kind of having to be, you know, maybe kind of more of a role player because, you know, it feels like I'm pretty sure about this. The Tigers kind of have been trying to to trade Jose Iglesias, you know, since, Mm -hmm. you know, the deadline last, last year and no one really seems to want to give up very much. Um, and, I, and, yeah, it's just kind of hard. You take a look at the teams that are good right now and, and who is probably going to be good next year, and there really isn't anybody who needs a shortstop. I mean, maybe maybe the Phillies a little bit. I mean, there's a couple teams who could use him, but it really feels like that's the, the it's kind of a backup role that's, that's really the only thing available to him. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think he might, he might be kind of disappointed out there. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's a good point to suggest that maybe he's just kind of done here as well. Um, based on a few conversations I've had with people who may know, although you can't always be sure about it, it also feels like yeah. the Tigers just aren't, you know, just aren't real keen on Jose Iglesias, you know, for whatever reason. It's kind of hard to imagine that, you know, he's he's causing a, a ruckus in the clubhouse or that he's sort yeah, of Yeah, it's really hard child, to see but... Iglesias as a, t- a clubhouse cancer, but, you know, what do I know? I'm not in that clubhouse every day. Um, to me, he seems like the kind of guy you kind of want around, like quiet, under the radar, seems like a good guy to have on the field. Yeah, but uh, kind of fun, I energetic kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Really good at turning those double plays. Like, I mean, he's a hell of a fun guy to watch. Um, when he's at peak health, he is a solid, solid shortstop. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, when I watch Javi Baez, I think like, okay, you know, that uh, Jose Iglesias might be the only guy who can make those plays <laughs> other than yeah. Javi Baez. Like, you know, that's that's the level of shortstop. Andrelton Simmons is an amazing shortstop and probably the best in the game, but but he just has a different style. Like it's not the the speedy, like incredible hands it's and acrobatics. It's not that showy, flashy. You know, there's something really elegant about the way that Jose Iglesias can turn a double play. Like that just makes you look at it and go, like, what did I just see? Yep, yep. Just those those little freak moments where he pitches the ball out of his glove, or yeah, does something crazy. The tags. Um, that's yeah. another fun thing with with Javi Baez because you know Javi Baez is kind of the tag master. That's kind of how yeah. you know he's, he's often portrayed. But man, Jose Iglesias can can match him in that. And there just aren't too many guys like those two who can you know be in the air you know acrobatically like flipping and still like land the, you know this catch and tag immediately. You know, it's yeah, he's been a lot of fun to have. Um, you know, he was one of the first players of this kind of era that I finally thought like you know I might I might actually get a jersey, <laughs> but I never yeah. did. <laughs> But he was that no, fun to I, watch. I, he was a really, I mean, he's been great for the Tigers. I think, I think all in all, a, a pretty underrated player. Like I, he's not the kind of guy that I think you see a lot of jerseys out there, but when healthy is such a consistent guy to have on the field. And he's not an exciting guy at the plate, but he's also really weirdly reliable there. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. He's not going to produce not, a lot, but he'll always produce something. You know, he's, he's never yeah. like cratered completely as a offensive player. He's a hard guy to strike out. So he's an interesting kind of, I don't know. There's an interesting player there. Like it, it not a lot a lot of flash but definitely something, something special. special yeah yeah and i and maybe that's what's maybe it's just kind of driven the tigers crazy that a guy who doesn't strike out and you know has the hands he does they they just cannot get him to kind of have an approach at the plate and he's just always just sort of up there you know without a thought in his head just swinging at whatever um and yeah. maybe that's just finally driven him crazy but yeah i mean you look what's out there and it's like a Danny Hechevarria or Freddie Galvis. And they're, they're both a little bit like slightly lesser versions of Jose Iglesias. So, yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't mind Hatch if you're going to go out and get someone, but like, like, I want somebody. to me, to me, well, you need somebody, you need an established shortstop in that role. So to me, keeping Iglesias was the most sensible decision. But I mean, if you've got to do something, a guy like Hatch is a pretty good guy to get. And, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe the Tigers can, can find someone who can hit a little bit more and isn't really like a, a, a true shortstop but is good enough. But I just really feel like, you know, with all the young pitching coming up and, and trying to kind of at least play like strong fundamental baseball because you don't have the power and the bats to really win that way, you should try to win, with, you know, as much as you can and support your pitching staff with defense and, um, 
you know, get mm-hmm. rid of Jose Iglesias doesn't really make any sense on that front, and and we don't really have a second baseman either. And so you look at Nick Castellanos and Kristen Stewart in the corners, Maggie and Jamer Candelario, neither of which is really a plus defender at the corner infields, and then you have nobody in the middle, and your catching sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Are we making progress, Tigers? You're know. not going to win it defensively, and you can't do much defensively, so what do you have? Yeah, and I mean, that's a question they've got to answer. I mean, you can't just, like, you know, throw Dawel Lugo and Ronnie Rodriguez and Nico Goodrum out there in the middle infield next year and not expect us all to just riot, because we should riot. Like, that's that's some nonsense, you know? It's, um, yeah. you got to have I think a plan they've here. To, they've got to pick some guys up. I, I don't think that they have any other options. Like, they've got to at least kind of test that that free agency market, get a couple guys that are going to be cheap. I, I think last year they really focused on veteran pitching um, with with Liriano, with Fires. I think this year they got to start kind of looking at the idea of maybe a couple veteran position players, and I think that would be really smart for them. Yeah, and, prob- and they probably still should get, you know, another veteran starter or try to get a guy like Patrick Corbin and see if maybe his rebound is real or, you yeah. know, find find someone like that. And I and I really would kind of like to see them, we'll, we'll probably, at some point later on, once the postseason's over and we actually start getting closer to, like, Rule 5 draft and winter meetings, we'll probably start talking about who's going to be gone and, and what the Tigers should do. But, yeah, I mean, I'd kind of like to see you know, them try to find a better reliever as well. Like if you overspend a little bit for a reliever and are able to trade him for a good oh, prospect, yeah. that's that's still like more efficient spending than giving a second round pick, you know, $3 million or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So we'll see what they do there. Um, You know, the Tigers payroll this year was, a, a, as as of opening day per Cots contracts, was $125 million, um, which was down from where it ended in 2017 at $207 million. So that's, what is that? 82, $82 million they've saved, and they're going to have Victor Martinez coming off the books and only a couple guys yeah. hitting arbitration. So, yeah, okay, you have Miguel Cabrera's contract. That's kind of a problem, and Zimmerman, you still got another two years of that, but there's plenty of payroll space available there where they should be able to spend $30, $40 million, um, or even less than that if they're, if they're slick about it. Maybe there's a trade to make. Um, yeah, you know, you, you kind of have to look at the farm system and and you know, smart teams tend to figure out like, okay, we're keeping these guys. These guys are off limits. These other guys, if we can upgrade two or three of them into a major league player, we'll do that. Cause yeah. at the end of the day, you know, um, minor league players aren't worth what major league players are. They aren't. And all minor league players are a gamble, right? You're, you're counting on, you're buying a dozen eggs and you're hoping two of them aren't cracked by the, by the time, time you, you get, get home. home. Yeah. You know? So I, I, think you got to assess that and you pick the two that you really want to coddle and then you kind of play around with the rest. Yep. I mean, you know, Kristen Yelich, I, you know, I had a feeling was going to have a really big year and he's been kind of lucky. Like we talked last night on the other podcast about some of his stats where he has like a, I think a 35% home runs per fly ball rate, which is just stupid. Um, and that, and that won't sustain, but it was pretty, you know, predictable that, you know, they were getting kind of a steal there. You know, Lewis Brinson wasn't an amazing prospect and, you know, Tigers could have got him and, you know, some of those opportunities may come up again. So yeah, hopefully they keep an eye out if there's, you know, another team that's going to sell off, like, you know, we're watching the, the Orioles just finally like, you know, accept reality yeah. and just totally melt down. Um, there isn't a whole lot I really want to poach there, but yeah, you know, finding teams like that and trying to take advantage a little bit with some of the um, some of the depth pieces in the farm system just seems like something they should be trying to do because you're not going to get there by just building a farm system by itself. 
So, yeah, gotta play, gotta play the short game and the long, long game. game. Yeah, yeah, you gotta play the free agent game. You gotta play the development game, the farm system game, the trading game. You have to do all those things well. AJ Preller, um, I saw someone saying that Padres GM AJ Preller was, you know, real close to being considered the best general manager in the game. And I mean, that just tells you like where fans have gone, you know, that a, a you know, a guy who's the general manager of a team that, you know, hasn't won. I don't even know how long it's been since they were 500. I mean, they're garbage every year, but their farm system is, <laughs> is excellent. And people are just totally like, you know, buying into it. Like, oh, well, they have, you know, one of the best farm systems in the game. So they're going to be awesome. And it, it just doesn't work like that. You know, these are the same people who paid Eric Hosmer $120 million. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. I'm still mad about that. And I don't even like the Padres. I know. I don't care. You know, do what you want to do, Padres. But um, I'm all I'm I'm so prepared to be outraged this season over how much Bryce Harper and Manny Machado end up baking somewhere. Yeah, I might be like, outraged how little, too. I, I really I have no idea what's going to happen after some of the crazy things that happened last offseason. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but but man, at least one of those guys is going to make bank, and it's going to be disgusting. Because they're so young. Like, you really look at it, and they still have so much potential time ahead of them that someone is going to bank on those guys being worth, you know, a, a six-year contract somewhere. Yeah, and that's I mean, and with those guys, I don't even know. You might, you might have to go ten years and you know thirty-two million a year. I don't, I don't know. They, they might be the guys to kind of get that, get that monster contract that we just haven't really seen in a while. Um, that kind of plays into one of the. We're trying to mix the listener questions in. Um, I didn't really want to just do a whole segment, but we did have a question on Nicholas Castellanos, which kind of kind of goes to that. Um, Nick is only a year from free agency, so that should the Tigers keep him and even try to extend his contract. And who could be a realistic suitor in case, you know, there there is a trade possibility? I am um, 100%, 100% on 100% of the opinion that we should extend Nick Castellanos immediately. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm weird about this, right? But I, I think, I think he offers a lot to the team beyond just his his bat prowess and no i'm not talking about his fielding skills because <laughs> they're <laughs> nil um but i i think he's the kind of guy that that team needs to have around um in this interim period i think that he's a really important character um to the development of the team as a cohesive unit if that makes sense um i i think that that's exactly the man you need in the clubhouse going forward and I, I think that's got its own value beyond, beyond just, just him being the best batter on the team. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it is sort of that lineage type argument where Nick is, you know, is only what, 26. And yet he's got, you know, five years of major league experience. He's seen a lot. Um, he might still get better with the bat. And he's kind of the one who's sort of seen it, you know, from the peak all the way down to where it is. And, you know, it just depends on what he, what he wants, I guess. Um, the, the hard part is just figuring out how to fit he and Kristen Stewart and Miguel Cabrera, all three on the same roster, when ideally you'd like all three of them to be DHing most of the time. And, you know, there are ways to do this. I mean, you can kind of, like we've talked before, and, you know, you can probably anticipate that Miguel Cabrera is going to be injured for half the season. Um, so at that point, you're going to have plenty of, plenty of DH you know, plate appearances to give to Nick or Kristen so that you don't have them both out there at the same time. And 
when you look at the Tigers system, you know, there, there's a couple good players and they're at key positions. There's a couple prospects I really like and you've got a second baseman. You maybe have a shortstop. I don't know for I don't know so much about that one, but you have a center fielder in Daz Cameron. You've got the catcher coming in Jake Rogers. What you don't have are those those big impact bats. And so, yeah, I would I would would like to see them still extend Nick. It's just a question of you know how how reasonable he's going to be about that, and yeah, yeah, it, I don't know. It's just tricky. It just don't doesn't seem like very many guys, excuse me, sign an extension a year from free agency, um, and especially considering kind of the labor strife that's gone on and the fact that Nick is the union representative, it, it feels like there might be some pressure on him not to not to do that, um, and that's okay too. I mean, if you play Nick Castellanos out next year and then you want to give him a qualifying offer and let him walk, or if you want to sign him, you know, there are options, you know, down the road as well. But yeah, I mean, they can't really afford to lose a guy who's, you know, a 300 hitter who's probably going to hit, you know, 30 home runs, I would imagine, over the next, you know, a year, over the next five years. Because Nick is just same base gauge as Christian Yelich, and, you know, I've kind of always compared the two of them together because they both have hit a lot of line drives and are sort of like similar similar style of hitter at least although Yelich has better patience um but you know there's still that chance that Nick you know could could be a 30 35 home run guy and yeah. he's going to hit for high average and man we just don't have we don't have a lot of guys like that in the farm system so yeah I'm kind of on board with trying to keep him around yeah I think I think it's a good call I don't know that they're going to be able to work that out but I think if they can uh, they should yeah I mean really as long as you're not paying him until he's like beyond 31 32 years old i'm fine giving them you know 10 12 million a year um i don't know if they have to go a little bit farther than that i might kind of rethink it but but yeah it's just really hard to see how they're going to have enough offense at any point in the near future i mean maybe you let nick walk do that do the qualifying offer collect your pick and then you sign somebody who's just more well-rounded and to play right field for you or maybe jacob robson kind of surprises you and works out but um yeah i don't know but that's definitely going to be a gonna be a key question uh, yeah it's just hard to let him go um when, when we need offense so um let's see Jaja Bojangles asked how do you oh boy this is kind of a complex one too how do you think the Tigers bullpen is going <laughs> to shake out next year what pieces if any should they add this this is the equivalent of like 10 articles that we're going to cover in about <laughs> in about yeah five minutes I imagine talk. we'll get way deeper into this um on the actual site when we we start going um I don't know that next year is the year that the bullpen's going to get any good. But like we talked about, I think um, we're going to see, I, I would like to see them make at least a move to add somebody. Um, yeah, same here. I mean, I mean, if I look at like who they have right now, I mean, you've got green, you've got Jimenez, you've got, let's see, I guess, oh man, I still don't know if you have Daniel Stump or not. I kind of, I kind of say not. I'd kind of prefer to see Hardy um, take yeah, that, yeah. take that role and then try to find a better, better lefty. But then you've got Verhagen and that's kind of it. You know, the, there's, there's plenty of options. Um, you know, Victor, Victor Alcantara pitched well. Um, I'm still a little suspicious, but if he comes out and pitches well next year, fine. You've got him. Um, you've got Zach Houston, who was Toledo's closer for most of the the latter half of the season um, and a little more than that. And he was good. Um, we've got Brian Garcia and Jason Foley, who are both really nice young relief arms who are coming back from Tommy John surgery. And at some point next year, hopefully they'll be ready. 
Um, you could also consider putting Spencer Turnbull into the bullpen um, because he kind of has a he kind of has a tendency. We've kind of thought he would he would end up a reliever for a long time because he has really good stuff, but he'll also sort of lose his command, you know, over the course of a start and kind of kind of seems like he loses focus sometimes. Like he'll come out in the first inning all amped out and be throwing ninety seven and just blowing people away. And then the next inning, the velocity's down like a couple miles an hour back to like starter velocity. And then sometimes he starts getting hit around. So he's he's a guy who I would imagine the Tigers will kind of consider their sixth starter next year. And we'll yeah, be able to find that. yeah they'll find plenty of starts for him. But um, there's still a chance he might end up in a bullpen role as well. So I w- I would like to see the Tigers let Alex Wilson go. Um, I really oh I, yeah. I like Alex Wilson. He, you know, the dude is a warrior. Like some of the injuries he's played through the past like couple of years have just been stupid. I mean, he's just a super tough cat. But um, and you do kind of like having like that gritty veteran guy down in the bullpen to to, to kind of hang with those guys and show them the ropes. But um, but you can find someone I think on the free agent market who's better than Alex Wilson and can kind of f- fill that same role and hopefully be a trade chip. And yeah, I'd like to see them do that as well. So those are those are kind of my beginning thoughts. Anyway, before we get too deep into it. Nope, I'm agreeing. I'm not going to fight you on any of that. Jacob Markle, our one of our prospect writers. Oh yeah, ask ask me about prospects. Like he's not sitting there all smug, thinking he knows all the answers already. <laughs> <laughs> Which new prospect, not named Casey Mize, are you most excited about? Uh, Jake Rogers. Rogers. I, yeah, well, yeah. Does he count though? Because we got him in 2017. I don't know. Does he? He hasn't played in the majors yet. I th- I count it. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, that's my that's my, my metric for it. Yeah. He hasn't had his cup of coffee yet. He still counts as a prospect. So that's for me. And I I just I've been excited about him since spring training last year. And I'm sure there's folks that have been hyped about him way longer than that. But I really liked what I saw out of him in spring training this year. I guess technically. Um, so he's I, I'm pretty excited to see what we get out of him. Yeah, you know, so am I. Real, real excited to see him, and and I'm kind of definitely gonna, I'm going to be one of the people pushing them to bring him up next year, just because, you know, catchers just you know their prime is just short for the most part, and mm-hmm. you you burn yourself out um, physically being a catcher, and so I don't see a whole lot of point leaving him in the minor leagues when he's probably going to need a year at the major league level just to kind of get up to speed there anyway. Like I'd like to see them kind of start that process sometime next year, and not just. Wait for a September call up, um, but we'll see if he goes to Toledo to start the year, like I expect, and he's hitting. Maybe they'll decide the same thing. Um, I guess I'll I'm take also hyped for Cody Clemens, but yeah, that's yeah. a little bit of ways away. Yeah, but that, but if, if we're talking new prospects, like guys we got this year, Cody Clemens is a pretty good answer. Um, I'll say I'll say I'll say Parker Meadows. Um, I am pretty mm-hmm. excited about Parker Meadows, even though he's a long way away. Um, but I really liked them being able to, I didn't really think he was going to be available where they got him in the second round. And so I was pretty stoked when they did and were able to sign him. So it's going to be a while till we see what Mr. Parker Meadows can do. Um, but you know, I, I kind of, I just, I had the sense just watching him that he's probably going to be better than Austin, his brother, who is now with the race and the Chris Mm, Arthur trade. But yeah, Austin, Austin is a good just made his major league debut with the Rays recently in September. He's a, nice, he's a nice prospect too. So yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what he can do for you guys down there. Um, Jacob is asking within reason, how would you like to see Alavila deal with the lack of decent MLB catchers um, going into next season? We already dealt with that as much as I'm willing yeah, to uh, pick, pick up a vet <laughs> and then maybe test the waters with Rogers. I think is both of our answers to that. 
Yep. Yeah, oh, man, he's just asking. These are brutal. In what way can the Tigers imitate the Brewers over the next couple years as they try to get back into contention? I mean, you just it's just the way it is. You just got to do the things the Brewers did. They built a pretty good farm. They made a couple key trades when there was an opportunity. And, I, and maybe that's the key thing is for Alavila to be really really keeping his eye open for those opportunities where a team is going to going to trade a guy or a, a, an organization like the Braves, you know, the Dodgers, one of the the Padres, one of those big organizations is going to have some 40 man roster issues and they're going to start shedding some players and the Tigers need to pick the right guy. Um, you know, they they picked Victor Reyes out of the the Rule 5 draft this year and there were, you know, there were guys that were picked up like Chad Keller who, you know, had better seasons than that, than Victor Reyes did. Um, Victor Reyes was kind of a long-term play so maybe that'll still work out but yeah they've they've got to be aware of that and 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 try to take advantage at least of of teams that are you know selling people away uh yeah no, no, I, I agree what's the next guy oh, okay in a hypothetical world where chris this is from charlie pickering um if it, a hypothetical world where chris illich is possessed by the spirit of his dad for one year um, all creepy undertones and slim chances of success aside, pretend the Tigers want to put some jet fuel into this Honda Civic of a team and go for it. Assuming we don't go beyond the most we've ever spent in payroll, what would the Tigers' moves be this offseason? Oh, okay. So if we had a blank slate and, say, like another $80 million in payroll to drop, what what would you be looking to do? I don't know. I would offer a bunch of really fun one-year contracts. And I just like... like yeah go batshit for one season and see what happens. Like, I'm not talking like contention. I'm talking, you pick up a lot of good guys and just treat them like a functional training unit for the new guys. So you go out there, you grab a Wilson Ramos, you go out there, you got these guys that may be willing to sign for one year deals. You're not going to pick up guys like Bryce Harper. Obviously that's bonkers, but like you or can do get, you? I think, no, no, this no. We're we're talking about like an eighty million dollar increase. Is Bryce Harper going to sign a one year eighty million deal, and that's what we get? We don't need Bryce Harper. Well, that's true. Okay, but like, yeah, yeah. I think you 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 look at it and you pick up these guys, right? That have that are really you know they're older, they're veteran players that are still going to maybe want you know you, you know your minimum seventeen to twenty million dollar a year maybe tops. Um, and or, or you know the guys that are willing to take a year at um, five million, one and a half million, you know, just to come in and and really be kind of the rudder and 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 set the ship right, and then kind of put you in a better position come twenty twenty. That you know these young guys have had that right directioning, and I'm not even I, I besides Ramos, I can't even think of a guys that I would want because honestly, I don't have the free agent list in front of me, and I'm I'm at a loss. Um, I figure you use a little of that money to extend Nick, um, and then you play with the rest. Oh yeah, see, I love that idea. I mean, it's kind of a confusing question because I'm not sure if what he's saying is that you know Chris Illich would then just give out like mad contracts even if they were long term because he was possessed by his dad for a year or whether or not he, it really is like a year limitation. But yes, you know, that's what I would like to see them kind of do a little bit anyway is, is give out a lot of short term, like, you know, somewhat overpriced deals to a lot of, you know, solid veterans who, you know, could really kind of fill out the roster and kind of raise the, the young pups. I mean, if you're talking about getting crazy, um, you know, you know, maybe I would sign Manny Machado. I'm real wary of someone giving Bryce Harper 
like $320 million when his speed and defense are declining. Um, I, I don't mm-hmm. have the kind, that much of a question about his bat. Like, he's, he's still going to be a really, really good hitter. And maybe he'll get back to being a great hitter for several seasons, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine him, him being the guy that you really want you know, in your in his early thirties, still making like thirty two, thirty three million dollars a year, and being you know Jason Worth. Um, yeah. Oh so. God! And there's all kinds of injured guys. Like we, we you know, we like there's you could I don't know you could sign Garrett Richards, um, the the Angels pitcher who's oft injured, and wait you know a year for his Tommy John recovery and see if he can come back. You could do some things like that. You could pick up you know a bunch of you know guys like that, like Tyson Ross, Patrick Corbin try to add all those guys in on kind of semi big one year deals and see, you know, what, what they can do and what you can get to, to really, you know, kind of boost the farm system. Um, you know, it was interesting that we were talking last night about like the Royals and how much they, how they kind of built their, their world series team, or at least one of the major things they did was spend a lot of money, um, on amateurs and international free agents win, they were there were still no limits on all those sorts of things, and you can't do any of that anymore. Um, the international free agent market is constricted now, and it's only going to get even more so because the FBI now has an, a new investigation going into at mm-hmm. least the Dodgers and probably a bunch of teams. I won't be surprised to see some Dodgers people getting, and the Braves. Yeah, at least those were the two mentioned. But yeah, I mean, who knows? It might go deeper than that. So um, you can't do that anymore. But what you can do is overpay to get a couple guys to come here with the expectation that if they have a good season, you know, good first half, you're going to trade them away for a nice prospect package. Um, and doing some of that would probably be a, a good idea as well. But that is a tough question because, yeah, even if you just decided to add 80 or $90 million to the payroll, I'm, I, it's really hard to see how they could win next year. Um, you, know, I, you know, you just never say never, but yeah, it's hard to imagine that would really kind of play into it. Um, and th- that kind of wraps the questions and, just to kind of revisit this before we go in and talk about the postseason, let's talk about Mr. Addison Russell because we we all know we need a shortstop. Um, Addison Russell, um, you know, I'm gonna I'm just gonna put it this way, and I know this might annoy some some people out there, um, I, and I don't care because this is the same situation <laughs> as with Derek Norris. You know, Addison Russell, as far as Major League Baseball is concerned, is convicted of domestic abuse. Um, and it's not the same as a legal conviction, but he's been suspended 40 games, which is silly when you get 80 games for PEDs and he can still, you know, is still eligible for the postseason. There's a lot of there's a lot of issues with the way Major League Baseball is still handling these issues. But um, for all those people who want to say innocent, not until proven guilty, no, it, it doesn't work that way. Addison Russell is a member of one of the most powerful unions in the country. They negotiated these standards with Major League Baseball. They all came to an agreement. His representatives agreed to it just like everybody else's did. And so these are the punishments and these are the rules. But as a result, it does kind of feel like Addison Russell's days in Chicago have probably come to an end. Um, I don't know if they'll release him or try to trade him. But you're basically looking at a 24-year-old guy who is a really good defensive shortstop, um, who has shown flashes of being a good young hitter, and considering everything that he's put himself through and his family over the past two years, um, you know that maybe that plays into some degree why the bat hasn't come along like some people thought. And to put it coldly, you know, as far as like just a cold, icy baseball decision, the Tigers picking up Addison Russell is probably a smart thing to do. Um, so, but then again, we also hate this. Like, and it just, I, ugh, it just feels I, icky. It, it, from an in- just a PR point of view, it's the worst decision they could make. Like I was talking earlier, like we we're having a discussion about guys that were available 
available for certain positions. And I was pretty, first base was one, an example, because um, uh, Daniel, what's, what's his face? face? Murphy. Murphy. Yeah. Will be becoming up available and my immediate reaction is like the tigers don't need that pr because we saw what happened when the cubs signed him and he didn't do anything illegal he didn't do anything physically abusive to anybody people are very up against daniel daniel murphy just because of things he said um and and i'm I'm one one of those people i don't agree with what he said and i i think that him saying it was ignorant and you know, you can just Google, Google it, it, like, like Daniel, Daniel Murphy, <laughs> foot in mouth disease. disease. <laughs> um, but if I'm that adamant about somebody who just is homophobic being on my team, um, I'm not going to be any more warm and welcoming to somebody who the MLB's, you know, independent commission determined is guilty of domestic abuse. I, I don't care how good he is at shortstop. Short <laughs> like, yeah, and the details are, are you know are pretty horrific. And uh, Melissa Reedy, his ex-wife, you know, um, you know, ha- had a lot to go through as far as like, you know, trying to decide whether or not she was gonna gonna testify and or you know to MLB or or be interviewed. And she finally did release like a pretty comprehensive statement um, that, you know, it's it's just some damn harrowing damn harrowing shit. You know, like, just yeah. just to see what he put her through. Um, and yeah, I mean, you just don't want guys like this on your team. You you don't. It's really hard, you know, to, everybody wants to win, but you also don't want your team to be comprised of like bad dudes. You know, like, I, how are you supposed to like root for these guys? You know, if I, and I, 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 I can't go to a Louis CK show, um, you know, you know, and I'm not, that's easy for me. Cause I'm not that big of a Louis CK fan, but you know, like, you know, he's trying to make this comeback and you just see like. You know, people struggled with this, and it's just like you know the it, the whole thing. Like, why don't you just like pass? There's there's other people. You know, there's other comedians. Yeah, there's yeah. other funny funny people who didn't torment you know various women for years and use all of his power in this in, in the industry to you know ruin their careers because he was afraid that they might out him. You know. Yeah, and I look at it and I go, "Do you want that kind of person when you're building a young?" upstart team is that the kind of influence you want around them like he's young too but is that the message you want to send to these young guys that no no we're okay with it like we know that you've done bad things but we're going to assign you anyway like i mean the tigers have effectively already said that they said that when they signed eric norris um but then they just didn't let anything happen with him but they still made that mistake and i have to think that with the amount of pressure that was put on them with that decision that for them to sign a guy that's clearly going to go straight to the majors in Addison Russell, they just won't take that heat. Like, I, I just don't see the benefit to them in in that kind of signing. Yes, he's a good player. But, like, t- to what end? Why are you signing him now when he's, you know, he'll hit free agency in a couple of years uh, before he's going to be any good to you anyway? Well, and, yeah, maybe, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, to I, me, it's, it's not, not worth, worth it. it. On, in, in any stretch, stretch. And, and, and I, I think, think I think it would, it would be a dumb, dumb, dumb move by the, by tigers, the tigers to do that. do that. Yeah. Whereas I think I if if it was another organization that I thought was more prepared to to deal with this well and to really like make sure that Addison Russell was you know really investigate him and make sure that he was going to be the one who was influenced by the clubhouse rather than the reverse and that. You know, there there was some contrition, um, which I haven't seen yet in most of his mm-hmm. his public comments. I could get behind it um, to some degree because I know that 
And, and I'm, here's the thing: I'm gonna be mad, I'm gonna be mad about it at the same time. But I, but if they did it, I would also like understand why they did it. Um, because Addison Russell, the the thing with the Derek Norris thing was that it was just a totally self inflicted wound for no reason either. Um, oh, because he was a terrible, terrible player. player. Yeah, because like. he was also a terrible player, and you know it's it's ugly to take that into account. But you know, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna hurt yourself and take this PR hit and put yourself through this thing where you've got to you know rehabilitate this person in your organization and worry that you know you know Addison Russell, you know maybe you sign him and maybe you know by next you know February or or March or April or whatever you've got another like Evan read situation where he's you know got a very credible sexual assault charge against him you know you just you just don't know with a person like that and it's really hard to find out um and the thing with the Derek Norris thing that you know irritated me behind them signing him is that they kind of just you know acted like it was no big deal you know the league cleared him to play and we and kind of said like when we we know he's a good kid right we know him and then and then it comes out with Katie Strang in your article kind of stir in the pot a little bit that like the Tigers didn't even talk to him, you know, like the Tigers didn't even bring yeah, the yeah. subject up with him. And it's like, how can you be that irresponsible with it? Like I can understand that Addison Russell is going to play baseball for somebody. Um, and that's, that's probably just the undeniable fact. He's going to play baseball for another team other than the Cubs next year. And from that perspective, yeah, the, the Tigers probably could use him because the Tigers don't have a short or legit shortstop in the minor league system that looks anywhere close to being as talented but are you going to do the right things? Are you going to investigate him? Are you going to get some assurances from him and talk to him seriously about like, you know, we, you know, we, we will cut you loose, you know, and, and burn every bridge if we have even the slightest peep out of you. And you've got to see how he responds to that. You know, is he, is he going to change, you know, his behavior? Does he recognize that his behavior has been terrible? Or is he a guy who's like, hey, this is nobody's business. I'm being framed and, you know, wants to go on and on, you know, kind of whining about what was me. Um, in a situation where that's totally his own fault. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and those are, those are really tough decisions, re- really tough decisions for a team to make. And I think you can make the argument that the Tigers being bad and probably attracting almost no attention. Otherwise, like if they signed Addison Russell or traded for him this off season, that would probably be the biggest news that the Tigers make all next year. But it probably would kind of go under the radar once the season started because the Tigers are going to be bad and no one gives a rip about them anyway right now. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to handle these things going forward because you're not, you know, they're not going to ban him from baseball. And, you know, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't, but he's going to be playing somewhere next year. So how do you, how do you know what the right thing to do is? And, and really, like, how can anyone have much faith that, you know, kind of a, a, an organization like the Tigers is, is necessarily equipped to sort of handle this, this subject at this point? I don't know. They did, you know, I guess they've been through a bunch of stuff with Miguel Cabrera. Um, nothing like that, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So that's going to be something to watch out for. And I just felt like we had to kind of bring it up because I already see plenty of people saying like, Hey, this is the only thing the Tigers can do to solve shortstop. And I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't know that it would eventually be worth it. Even if Addison Russell did turn his life around and, and get his act together because he hasn't really shown what people thought he might be in Chicago. Um, hasn't really kind of blossomed yet and he's still kind of young. So you know, you just never know, but Man, these these choices are just fraught right now. Well, they're, they should always be fraught. <laughs> they should it should always be something that a team agonizes about. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen on that front. But ugh, I, I'm not looking forward if, to it. If, 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 no, and I, beyond Russell himself, I I'm hoping 
because there was a press conference with the Cubs yesterday. Um, it was Theo Epstein's usual right after the postseason ends for them. He does kind of a, a you know end of season post mortem, and he did address the Russell situation in, in that he he didn't you know qualify whether or not Russell would be back for the next season. It did sound like not, but they didn't commit to that, and. He talked about what I thought was interesting is he talked about wanting to be more preventative about situations like this as opposed to reactive. reactive. Yeah. And I, it's the first time I've ever heard anybody in a clubhouse or anybody in that position of power within the MLB use that phrasing. And I think it's a really important turn if it's not just lip service. Um, because there are things I think these teams can do ahead of time. Um, to, to kind of ease, not ease, but like to keep these situations from rising. Cause I think, and there's never an excuse for domestic violence, but I, I think a lot of it arises from situations of high stress of, of people feeling cornered of, of just anger, finding no other outlet. Um, and I think if you had a position where guys like this, who are away from their spouses for an entire season, like they're gone from February through October. That was a long time to be away from your partner. And when and they are home, they're, yeah. And when they are home, they're totally, you know, they, you know, they've got to be about themselves. Yeah, in in training mode, in eating mode, and in, in, in the ballpark being, twelve hours a day. Absolutely. absolutely. And so, to me, I, I think there's not a lot of preparation for these guys to know how to deal with that. And to know how to deal with the stress that that puts on a relationship or the the anxiety and pressure that that puts on an individual. And I'm of the opinion that I think if we destigmatized mental health and addressed it as part of the overall well-being of an individual and created something like a mandatory counseling for all players that like once a week everybody goes in and sees the like the counselor and talks about things that have been stressful for them and things that they've been feeling that not only are you taking that pressure off for guys who may have those mental health issues um, and may feel like they need to bury that. Like we saw it, and I hate to make the comparison, but like we saw that with Roberto Osuna last year. Before any of the stuff came up about his his domestic issues, he had a, a big thing where he spoke out about the mental health issues he was having and all the stress he was under. And, and I'm not saying one equals the other, but I'm saying that if he had access to an understanding staff and reliable mental health counseling on the regular, that he, things might have been very different. And I, I think that the, the MLB has to understand that there is a mental aspect to all of it, and they need to start treating the players as a whole instead of just worrying about the bodies and fixing the bumps and scrapes. I think that it's a really important thing that they start looking at the emotional and psychological well-being of these individuals too. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, like it, it is really weird. And and this part of it kind of came more from the steroid era, but it, it's, it's just strange, you know, that major league baseball has an investigative body comprised of their own, you know, detectives, officers, enforcement arm that is out there investigating people and and doing all that sort of thing and basically functioning like a police force for their own players. 
but then they don't also, but, you know, but then they're not going to be responsible for, you know, making sure that these guys have good access to, you know, to mental health care. Um, and not just them, but, you know, I think, um, you know, like all those points you made are great and it, it, and it should be extended to their families too. I mean, it would really, it seems to me it would really help if, you know, if team, you know, wives could, you know, or girlfriends could had somewhere to, to call, you know, to say like, Hey, you know, I mean, he's been a, you know, he's been a complete bastard, you know, the last couple of days, you know, things feel like they're kind of spiraling. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to report this and I, you know, I, I want there to be some kind of intervention with them. We need to, you know, do something if, if they had that yeah. aspect, you know, as well, a lot, maybe some of these things could be avoided. Um, I mean, it's tough because, you know, I, on top of everything else, like, you know, a lot of these guys came up very spoiled, you know, like as long as you were a good baseball player, you, you had people running cover for you on everything else and you were never held responsible. Um, you know, and this is something we see from, you know, presidents, senators, you know, wealthy business people, you know, all the way down. Like it doesn't just happen in, you know, in the trailer park or in the hood or whatever people think it's, it's just as prevalent everywhere. And there's just a lot of entitlement that goes along with you know being very good at one thing that people value um mm-hmm. and it, and it just kind of skews everything for a lot of these players i think you know a lot of athletes in in, in all sports and yeah i mean you once the league decided that they were going to tackle you know some of this and they had to you kind of have to start tackling all of it um you have to be a lot more comprehensive about it i mean if you can spend you know a hundred million dollars to have like a your basic own like pinkerton force um yeah you, da- you damn well better have a whole bunch of psychologists and and marriage counselors and you know and, well, and everything else as well because you know you and, you, and I, I think most teams actually do have a psychologist which is the thing that kills me it's like the guy is available to you but who wants to be the one guy that like has to go seek out the shrink, which is why I think if you just made it mandatory for everyone, then there is no stigma. It's like, Oh, now you're off to see Dr. Dave. Yeah. I've got him at two. Like you don't need to talk about it, but everybody's going, it's just a part of the routine. And I think that that would help a lot more people. Like, I mean, honestly, I think most of us in the world could use mandatory counseling once yeah. a week. Yeah, but it, like, would, it would help to have an impartial arbiter like hear us out. You and, know, like, but, I would love to be able to sit down with somebody that's not, you know, maybe that should just be like, Ashley, go to therapy. But, <laughs> right. but, you, but, you, but, you're, but yeah, when you have a bunch of alpha male type dudes, nobody wants to be the guy who has to go. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think that that takes it all away. It makes it easier. It just evens that playing field. So yeah. And also, and having it available, you know, to, to the family as well, just to support all of yeah. them, you know, I, I think would, would definitely help as well to kind of help get a bead on some of these things before, you know, before someone snaps and does something awful, you know, or all this Chapman like, style like, or whatever. And, no, but you know, honestly, honestly, like, think about that. They're like, now I look and I kind of, we make fun of the Royals for some of the, the morality programs that they have, right? right. Like, like they, 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 they have, have entire sessions dedicated to don't watch porn. It's bad. But can you imagine if teams had that kind of family and, you know, outreach available where every season they're like, okay, well, you know, here's something for the players wives where we talk about like, or here's something for every like married, like like men and women to come in and be like, here's the stressors that you may encounter for the season. And like, here's how to maybe deal with those things and like just workshop shit ahead of the season. Like, you know, here's some good resources and here's like some good things to know. And like, 
you know, nobody has to get up and role play anything, but you just have a sit down and somebody comes in and presents and it, it at least give those resources. I mean, if the Royals are going to waste time talking about how bad porn is, I think every team could have like a, a couple of days ahead of every season where they're like, you know, here's how to keep up your healthy eating during the season or like during the off season when things kind of get, you know, trickier to maintain. And I don't know, maybe I'm just too idealistic, but I think that there's that whole concept of holistic everything um, is something that teams should really embrace. Yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, when you look at like the United States military, obviously that, you know, that, that's a, a job and a, and a role. Well, this, I mean, it goes for any military, but because we're still, you know, we still have deployments going on everywhere, you know, they take that stuff seriously, um, you know, more seriously than MLB does, despite the fact that, you know, those guys don't necessarily make very much money and they're just kind of regular people working this, this bizarre job where you might have to go overseas for nine months or a year and then, and then get rotated back, you know, like talking to, you know, major league players about, you know, like what, what's going to happen to you on the road? You know, like, do you have a strategy? Like, how are you going to keep yourself occupied and, and doing positive things, you know, as opposed to like just going out and getting trashed every night and letting the night lead you into God knows what, um, mm -hmm. you know, what, what kind of strategies can you have for yourself to, to be proactive? What kind of things can the team do as far as activities to kind of, you know, get, not only, you know, sort of keep guys out of trouble, but also, you know, give them some of those bonding exercises, you know, like whatever, you know, whether it's just, you know, whether, whether this all comes down to Fortnite tournaments, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know what, <laughs> maybe if that's it does. what it is, you know, who's, who's to say that's bad if we promote that sort of thing instead. I, I think that there, there just needs to be a shift in, in how teams approach the entire player and not just the body that gets them runs and catches. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. And, and as long as they're, you know, as long as they kind of have to, because of their business model and the fact that they're an entertainment industry, as long as they, you know, they have to take, you know, bad behavior, at least somewhat ser more seriously than say like our, you know, your, or my employer might necessarily, um, you know, they, they, it just behooves them to be more proactive about these things. And yeah, I mm -hmm. mean, I could slag on Theo Epstein a little bit because, you know, like the Cubs, you know, for all the, all the good things about the Cubs, you know, there's, there's kind of been, you know, a little bit of a dark side over the past couple of years yeah. um, from winning the world series on, but you know, they're not alone in that. And, you know, who knows even how much goes on that we you know we never even hear about. So yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, is going to have to be addressed in, in more creative and more proactive ways than, than it currently is because, teams are constantly trying to play catch up and looking bad and looking old and looking out of touch and, um, you know, and, and, and looking as though they don't care enough, um, looking, you know, mercenary. Well, as long as this guy produces, you know, none of this is any of our business, you know, we're just a place of work. Um, you know, and they, and they don't get to have that, you know, they, they can't hide behind that anymore where, well, you know, it's just like anybody else's job. Um, yeah, but it's but not. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. It's very, very different, very different, you know? So, yeah, so I mean it's a tough topic and I don't know, we'll we'll see if if rumors start kicking up about the Addison Russell thing, um at which point we're going to end up having to deal with this again and good times. Let me tell mm. people out there, like none of us make any money doing this and so, you know, if any of you out there think like, you know, getting getting clicks really really excites us that much, no. Nah. <laughs> no, we don't do these things for clicks. We do these things because they have they have to be brought up, you know. I mean these are the the key subjects of the day and yeah, so if that's a topic that has to be brought up, we will confront it in its in its due course. But hopefully, the Tigers just kind of 
kind of shy away from that and come up with a better better option. Um, there are teams out there who have shortstops who are somewhat blocked in the upper minors and second baseman as well. You know, maybe trade for a guy like that who's who's kind of getting held up. Um, so maybe something like that is possible. And we'll talk about that when we get more toward the offseason. Um, to wrap things up, um, I mean, the postseason is underway. We, we've seen a couple wild card. You know, we saw like two play-in games. We saw two wild card games. None of them was exactly thrilling, uh, but they were all kind of pretty well-played games until the A's just kind of got trucked yesterday. Um, any any early impressions on the on the postseason? Because I, I sort of still feel... I feel weird this week every time. Like, the, the play-in games and the wildcard games, like, it's just crazy shit happens. Like, you know, if, if if that game with the Cubs and the Rockies would have turned on Nolan Arenado and Javi Baez hugging between second and third base, like, the world would have just exploded. Oh, my God, like, the riot. Just, Can yeah. you imagine if that had been, like, the thing that changed the course of that game? I loved I that, that moment, moment, by the I way. Know. So did I. <laughs> and, and you can't tell me Javi didn't want it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he just, like, he went right in for it. But you know what? I don't think... I honestly don't think that the intent there was to block a double play. No, like, I, I think, kind of he, I think it was yeah. just a reactionary moment where you're running right at a guy. And it's just like, bro, <laughs> he's just like, what do I do here? Either you run face first into him or you give the guy a hug. And so he just went with the Javier Baez move. And I, I'm sure there are people out there that will contend that, you know, it was intentional and he meant to block. I don't, I don't think that that was the case at all. Um, I don't know. It's been weird, right? Because you got two game 163s and then immediately into two wild card games. And it's like. Meanwhile, I don't the big, know. The, meanwhile, the big boys are just sitting around for like, you know, four or five days again, which is yeah, just or weird. Like, you know? like, relatively speaking, some of the worst teams in like record wise, like the, the Indians are, are, aren't a great compared to everybody else, but they got like a full week and a half of rest out of this. And, you know, it's, it's a very strangely built off season. Um, like I'm not sure that the most deserving teams are in, <laughs> It's, but it's still, it's fun to watch. And right now I have zero horse in the race because every single team that I write for or care about in any major way is now out of the running with the Cubs being done. So, I keep vacillating wildly between who I want to see win. It's like, oh, the Rockies would be interesting. And then uh, based solely on the fact that I like Arenado and purple is a fun color. (laughs) (laughs) And then then I'm I'm like, like, I I can't quite make myself root for any of the AL teams right now. (laughs) Yeah. I was was really leaning into the A's and then they disappointed me yesterday. And I I can't care about the Yankees or the Red Sox. And obviously I'm not going to cheer for the Indians, which is funny because Jay Markle uh, reminded me yesterday that I did once say that if the Indians transplanted every single player on that team onto any other team, I would really like Like that that team. team. (laughs) Yep. Because we all know my weirdo obsession with Trevor Bauer, who I do not like, but I weirdly love. Yeah, same here, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they posted an article today where he talked about building the physics of his perfect pitch, and he—he's just such a little weirdo. I—I I love his weirdo brain. There was another and, great article on him about. Um, you know, like being with the Diamondbacks and how he was almost ready to quit, you know, and then how like he and Mickey Calloway butted heads when he got to the Indians and was ready to just give up the game and just, you know, like what a stubborn kind of ox he is about, about like, some like, of these things. But he's just a damn genius when it comes to pitch design yeah. and stuff. 
but like, how do you not like a team with Francisco Lindor and, you know, Jason Kipnis and Andrew Miller, like every individual person on that team. I like, yeah. And I love Ramirez. Just, I love, uh, you Mike know, Clevenger is like Mike Clevenger's just a monster with his delivery and pitches. Like, you know, total surfer, you, bro. Yeah. yeah. He, he and he's Daniel just, Norris would be perfect together. Oh my God. <laughs> like, so I, I, I like all the individual aspects of the, the Indians. And I feel kind of similarly about the Yankees some days, too. Like, there's so much fun on that team. Like, I could probably take apart the Indians and the Yankees and build a super team that I really loved. Um, right now, I'm just annoyed with the Astros over Osuna. So I can't get excited about them, even though I really like their players. And obviously, Justin Verlander. But, you know, we had that moment last year. Verlander got his ring. I don't think I have quite that same attachment to it as i did last year yeah um i'm, I'm rooting for the astros again but I, it's def- it doesn't feel quite like it did last year that's for sure i'm a, I'm yeah, a little like bit I more was, flexible i was definitely into it last year because you wanted to see we just lost verlander and he you know he wanted that ring so bad and you just you were so there for it right and, and this year i'm like i don't know if either the brewers or the rockies take it i'm i'm okay with that um, the it might be nice to see the Dodgers get it because they just keep getting left out at the very end. It feels like I would like, really hate for Clayton Kershaw to never win a World Series. Um, yeah, it, and, and it I don't want to root for the Dodgers, but but yeah, that. Yeah. So. So I, I, yeah, you know, I wrote a comment about this the other day because I'm just one of those people. I'm always surprised at how many like fan bases other teams really hate or how much sort of like aggro there is toward others because I just don't have any. And I don't know <laughs> if it's because I grew up at a time when you could kind of only watch the Tigers and not even, you know, like all the games in the 80s. It was like, you know, I could see the Cubs on WGN sometimes and maybe the Braves once um, the Ted Turner TNT network came on and whatever. But basically I didn't have that much contact with any of those teams unless they played the Tigers on TV or on the radio. And other than that, it was just sort of baseball cards. And so I don't have these visceral, like, hatreds from all these, like, old rivalries that some other people do. I, you know, I don't like the Twins very much, and I can't root for the Yankees or the Giants. But beyond that, like, the postseason for me is just, you know, I'm, I'm just a total hoe out here just, like, changing affiliations constantly and like, Oh, I'm jumping on this bandwagon. And then like, Oh, <laughs> I changed my mind. You know, like 2016, I was kind of like, Oh, it's time for the Cubs to win this one. I'm, I'm all about it. And then Rajai Davis hits one home run and I'm like, Oh, screw it. I'm in for the Indians. <laughs> like at the very end, like, Nope, Indians. So I, I never, was all I never in know. for the Cubs in 16, but yeah, I, I get it. Right. Like you, you want to follow the best story. Yeah. I do just kind of ride the, I, I ride the narrative for sure. Yep. So that, that'll probably happen again. Just kind of leave it open-ended, but um, I, and I don't mind. I, I was happy. I wasn't necessarily happy to see the A's lose, but I didn't really feel like the A's really had much chance of going any further um, w- without enough arms. But so I didn't mind Boston and New York ended up getting matched up. Obviously everybody's happy about that. Ratings will probably be great. Blah, blah, blah. And I get a chance where I can root for Ian Kinsler, JD Martinez and Rick Porcello to just smash the Yankees. Um, yeah. So that'll be fun. I like to be able to root for, for the Red Sox, even though, you know, like there's just so many historical issues and then the fan base and God knows what else. So <laughs> I'll probably end up backing off of them, but for at least in the ALDS, I'm, I'm, I'm all on board with the Red Sox on this one. 
oh yeah, I, anything that's going to crush the Yankees out of it, that's all I care about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's one thing that, you know, everyone can get behind. I mean, I'm surprised a politician in America hasn't run yet on an anti-Yankee play. <laughs> no, they need those New York votes, man. Yep, yep. They're powerful out there. It's true. But uh, yeah. That's where yeah, all the money is. And I can't root for the Giants, like, because I just thought everything they did this year was, was just, just insanity. And they won three World Series, um, two of which I, I thought their team kind of sucked, and they just sort of lucked through those. I mean, you don't really ever luck through them, but I was just never—I've just never been on board with the Giants. And I, and right now, I'll—I'll I'll be perfectly happy to just revel in their suffering for a while. So, <laughs> so yeah, take that Giants. There's there's the salt that I've got for you. Suck, Suck it, Giants. Suck it, Giants. Yep. All right. Well, I think um, we're gonna wrap it up. Um, I don't know, you, you know, we're basically done for the season, and I don't know, we were kind of talking earlier, like, we'll probably jump on if, if bigger topics come up, and um, we'll have some shows along the way where, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll bring on our, our two prospect writers and let them kind of talk about the farm system and what they saw, um, maybe get some outside folks in here to interview. We still would kind of like to get Dan, the Dans, Hasty and Dickerson in here this off season to talk about some things, but it's going to be sporadic. Um it's been a long season. <laughs> um, we're, you know, we're slaving away for basically nothing here. And I think, you know, <laughs> at this point we're, we're kind of like keyed to just enjoy the postseason and relax and be able to just write an article or two a week and yeah. And, and just watch baseball and enjoy it without having to sweat over it too much. So I don't know. I, I kind of just like to thank everybody for a great season. Um, once again, thank everybody for supporting us um, through the Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash bless you boys. Um, you know, that support there, obviously, you know, we don't expect anyone to, you know, go giving us $50 a month or, you know, yeah, putting huge amounts of money into that. Really just the fact that, you know, some of you out there care enough about it and recognize the work that we do and appreciate bless you boys. Um, really means a lot to us. So just having some of you out there um, donating really, really feels good and is, and is pretty motivating. So I'd really like to thank you guys all for that. Um, we'll see if we can do a little better job maybe next season of kind of, I don't know, keeping regular content going up there and maybe trying to get some giveaways and contests going. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, we, we kind of fell off on that and I, there are opportunities out there. So I definitely, I think we can work a little harder on that. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough season. Um, you know, losing Kurt Menching um, and our girl Grace um, right at the beginning of the season, you know, kind of put us behind the eight ball. Especially Ashley, uh, myself, and Rob, and um, it, it was a bit of a scramble. So yeah, thanks to our staff for um, kicking in. A lot of you know, a lot of them are you know <laughs> very busy people as well. So uh, we appreciate all the time everybody took to, to kind of contribute and pick up recaps and news items and all that stuff throughout the year. Um, but yeah, I think next year we'll probably. We'll probably have it a little better dialed than it was this year. It was a little bit of a scramble at times. Yeah. Well, what on earth are you talking about, Brand? And we had everything perfectly under control. Yeah, yeah. We had, and the thing is, we do, but but it is kind of I. It is hilarious sometimes how it gets done. Like it just it just makes me laugh. Yeah. Like if I think like <laughs> what would I think from the outside about what goes on behind the scenes here and how shoestring it can actually be sometimes, and then turn out like really really you know pretty darn good. And that you know that's just kind of a testament to. Uh, yeah, the experience of, of the staff in general at, at working under high pressure and short time frames um, with almost no information or direction. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> we, are we are miracle, miracle workers. workers. Please, Please bow, bow before us. Yes, worship us as your personal gods, um, <laughs> at least temporarily. Maybe throughout the solstice. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um yeah i don't know we'll, we'll you know at some point we'll be back um probably to talk 
postseason, but um, you probably won't hear from us for another week or two at least. Um, we're just going to kick back and watch some playoffs and hopefully um, get a whole bunch of really good baseball and exciting legendary moments that will live forever. Yes. Woo. All right. Ashley, have a good night. Yeah.